Sinister died in stock. Felt. What? What? That happened? was a game. That was a game between two teams in the National Football League, and one of them looked good, and the other one looked like a word I'm not allowed to say on this show. So, Derry, give me. I mean, was that a kidnapping? So I'm not gonna overreact to Week One. I'm disappointed. I don't. I think we started off the game surprisingly poorly. I'm, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to wait and see. I know our offense needs some time to get together. We had Tannehill that had to deal with COVID. So there's just, there wasn't a lot of, the offense wasn't in sync at all. So I'm just going to be patient. I'm not going to overreact. That's my initial place where I'm at, boiling with Big, anger underneath it all. Big fella, I, I'm thankful to have Darius as a friend, but not right now. I want an overreacting friend. So, uh, well, you know. Derry, I'm glad you didn't overreact because I'm going to. Sunday was arguably outside of the 2000, I think it was 2018 Ravens loss, one of the most yeah. infuriating losses, and maybe it was because my boss was with us watching the game, and, you know, he's a Kyler Murray fan, and he was just rubbing it in, but you know what? I wanted to run down on that field and take out my frustrations on Mighty Mouse, as they call him, and nobody else did show our field, team how sure. to tackle him. I'm very frustrated. I think there, you know, we talked about it in the pre-show about what we were going to look for. I called out this offensive line and against their, what seems to be like cajillion studs now. And, you know, five sacks for one guy. Like, it's just absurd. And then we watched, everybody has seen the video of Taylor Luan getting blown up by Buda Baker, who is 5'9", 190 pounds unacceptable i don't care what you want to say if his knee buckled or st- somebody stepped on his foot if i'm taylor luan and i can't hold off buddha baker with four fingers there's a problem so i'm frustrated derrick henry didn't get going we didn't see any play action the only successful thing we did was a flea flicker which i was like oh my god what are we doing a lot of questionable calls from Vrabel, not going for it on fourth and one not going for it on third and one we see julio with the unnecessary roughness and a personal foul turning a third and one into third and long like just stupid mistakes they they weren't ready no. Yeah, I mean, Arizona is a better team than we thought. They're clearly a playoff caliber team. Derry, you say it well. I mean, teams have bad games. Week one is is not is the least important week, but it's a scary situation if you love that team. And seeing it in person, woof. Laura, you played really high-level college sports. Every team goes through a loss like that. In the week after something like that, where it's just across the board, abysmal showing what's the temperature like that week how how do you rebound i would say you really need to pull together as a team focus on team building and uh, working on that chemistry because the skill set's obviously there something's lacking their their motivation their preparation that's what i think ray will probably should be focusing on is bringing everybody together what does that look like landon when like big fella pointed out all the memes and all the stuff that just show Taylor Lewan, who literally gets paid a million dollars a game, just getting destroyed. I mean, how does team building, how does circling the wagons, how does, what does that look like in the internet age? Well, I think first, even going before that, I just think the entire offense needs to find some energy. That very first play, compared to last year, there was just, there was no urgency, no fire under any of the guys. We ran a play, Henry got tripped up for three yards. And just what little energy we had just died. Last year when we stepped on the field, it felt like Tannehill and A.J. Brown and Corey Davis in the offensive line, of course, Derrick Henry, they felt confident. They were smiling. They were going to score. They were going to put up 30. They were going to have a blast doing it. Last week, it felt like a miracle every time we got a first down. It's like, like John said, oh, we got, we got a first down. We completed a pass. 
it felt like the Terrier Biscuit years when Mariota was always injured where every offensive success was a miracle and you're just thinking, how are we going to sustain this long enough to score? I mean, we went 20 minutes. We went a third of the game without targeting A.J. Brown or Julio Jones. Two guys that are seen as fringe or top 10 wide receivers. That is unacceptable. I don't care that the Cardinals had great offense and kept us off the field. Todd Downing, if you can't throw the ball to your stars, then what are you doing? I, Landon, I'm glad you brought that up because here's my pro, here's another problem with Sunday's game to me. You've obviously got a first-time play caller in Todd Downing, and I think 31 other teams and 10 billion people on the planet knew what our first play call was going to be. It was going to be a run to Derrick Henry, so there's J.J. Watt trips him up negative three yards. Do something crazy. Do something unexpected. Give me an A.J. Brown jet sweep. Give me a deep shot to Julio. Absolutely. Don't run it with Derrick Henry right up the middle on the first play of the game. Or oh, if you're going to do it, conviction, do it with some conviction. Six years ago, when this team was winning five games in two years, you could every week count on Delaney Walker and Jarrell Casey to bring it. I mean, I remember going and watching just a terrible team performance and those guys giving everything they had. We had Delaney Walker having, what, 89 catches and 91 catches on – five wins in two years did we have those kind of individual performances to those guys points I didn't see them maybe I missed them do we have that kind of leadership and talent right now on this team that even in a bad game they stand out because maybe it was play calling Landon makes a great point but do, do we have that on this current team I think the talent we we have supreme talent um, I agree with big fella I cannot believe that the first play call was not a ball from Tannehill to to Julio. It's just like I would have put all my chips in to say, okay, we're going to give the ball to Julio first play. All right, play action. You know, let's let's get our new star involved early. I, I don't disagree. I do think that I'm going to stay patient with the play call because I think the talent is just too elite for us to to not be able to to have a better performance next week. What did alarm me and what where big fella was definitely triggering me was on our defense. It was just atrocious. Like every when we can't get off the field on third down, I feel like I die a little bit every time. So um <laughs> so the defense is where we really need to um to where my focus is going to be next week. We're going against another quarterback that's mobile. I want to see what we can do to to neutralize him and get off the and get our defense off the field and give our offense more possession. I, I love what you said there at the end, Landon. This is professional football. Can as bad as it looks Sunday, can they move on against a good team on the road? Could we see that this Sunday? We've seen some epic bounce backs even last season. I mean, what's your temperature? Not even specifics. Just can we bounce back Sunday in Seattle? I think just with the offensive talent we have, there is the possibility. But I'm not holding out hope because it's early season Russell Wilson. It's Seattle's first home game in like two years where they're going to have the full crowd going. They've got two of the best deep threat receivers in the NFL. Our defense, I'd say the first quarter I thought was pretty good. The first touchdown they had, Janoris Jenkins slipped and Hopkins had a big catch which set up the touchdown. And then the second one, Tanhill fumbled. They were down at the one. We pushed them back and Hopkins just makes an unbelievable catch. After that, the defense was just terrible. Shane Bowen's play calling is just as bad as it was last year. I've already talked to you guys about Hopkins' second touchdown. I don't want to know if I want to vent on this podcast, but it's early season Russell Wilson where he always looks like the MVP. DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett. Are we really going to guard those guys? Be serious. No, we're not. 
I will say Harold Landry probably had his best game as a Titan, even though he had zero sacks. Jeffrey Simmons looked good. Dupree was all right. But outside of that, no one else showed up. You can't have three guys show up on defense and expect to win a game. Well, Lynn, I actually, you know, I agree with you on Harold Landry and Big Jeff. They both showed up. They both got a sack. And, you know, they were both kind of impressive, especially with Landry's pursuit. One other guy I was actually impressed with was Christian Fulton. He didn't have his best game of his life, but I think he had his best game as a pro that we've seen so far. Um, he showed a lot of progression. He did. He had a couple big pass breakups. The first Hopkins touchdown with Janoris Jenkins, you know, tripping. Like, that drives me nuts. He's a veteran. He knows exactly who De- DeAndre Hopkins is. You need to give him cushion. You can't let him get behind you. You cannot afford to trip in that situation. And one other thing I want to unpack, too, that you mentioned real quick is the crowd usually we're super critical of our titans fans and nobody shows up we showed up on sunday we were there in force no we i agree the first quarter i mean how many false starts did they have i think they had three or four we showed up titans faithful showed up i mean we went to the two-tone blue nation tailgate which you know yeah, second, second to ready. none second to none you know they even had uh tim shaw show up at the their tailgate, which I thought was awesome. They do a, a fundraiser for ALS every year. We showed up when we needed to, and the product on the field was just horrible. It's really unfortunate, but I, I just hope Titans fans are patient. John brought up, the guys all brought up, just what an exceptional player. Like, when you have a loss, like, and then you're going to go play an amazing player. DK Metcalf just physically seems like, after watching our defense, like, how are we going to keep him from not having 15 catches for 250 yards uh, Laura, when you when you play just a dominant player, like what's the strategy there? Like we see that a lot where it seems impossible, and then we wind up containing a guy like that. What's the strategy the week of? Like what's the talk about in practice of like containing just a dominant player? I'm heading into you need to get everybody on the same page. You need to get some buy-in, knowing how to approach that. I think there's going to be less pressure for the Titans because they're on the road. I think they need to bounce back. It'll give them a chance to kind of reset a bit. But in terms of facing one player, it really is going to come down to the coaches getting the team ready and buying in. (laughs) (laughs) That's a little scary. Is it sometimes, I know this sounds like like a fan cliche, but for a player, is it sometimes an advantage to go 2,000 miles away and kind of you were talking about a restart like a total refresh it was like is sometimes going on the road a positive thing oh it can be especially after week one when you didn't play to I think your expectation or your fan base expectation I think you get a chance to regroup reset on the road new city new crowd really don't have too much to prove you're already going into a stadium that's going to be relatively loud. I think Landon referenced this full crowd that hasn't been there in a year or so. And I don't know how high the expectation is of the Titans heading into play Seattle. I would I would guess. It's low. It's okay. extremely low. So I think that actually can be um, an advantage and a bit of an upper hand for them to have that opportunity to just kind of so. like no pressure, let yeah. play looser, you know, just kind of uh, do the best they can and hope for the best, right? Gives them an opportunity to pull together. As good as our fan base showed out, I think if we played this game Sunday, I think there would be some apathy, even in a week. But if we beat Seattle in Seattle, Landon, it's going to be like Arizona never happened, right? Yeah, I think so. Especially with the casual fan, the only game they really remember is always the most recent one. And Seattle, they have the narrative they're the better team than Arizona. They've been on more games. They have 
bigger stars. There'd be the narrative going on the road and beating them. I do think we won't have to contend with opening week jitters, the rest of not playing any of our offensive starters in the preseason, and just having that home opener where the expectations are sky high. But like you said, we have to trust the coaches to adjust. Todd Downing, Shane Bowen as a coordinator duo, I think is easily bottom five in the NFL. So you're trusting two bottom five coaches to, after just pathetic performances on Sunday, you're asking them to go on the road, stop a great offense, play against a pretty good defense, and I just don't see that happening. Well, well I didn't good. expect you to see that happening, but maybe it will anyway. Uh, and you're they deserve it. Chat. Do you want to see? You want to hear my rant about Hopkins' second touchdown? <laughs> <laughs> We've all read it, Landon. You might as well might as well let our listeners hear it. So I'm not joking when I say a 12 year old who's played Madden for three hours would have known not to call that play call. We blitz <laughs> six, which is good. You're gonna pressure the quarterback, make it make a tough read. All your defensive backs are playing seven yards off. That's okay if it's third and long. If it's third and twenty, you don't want to get beat deep. You want the quarterback to have to wait on a long developing route or throw underneath, or you stop the guy short. Except it's not. You're 15 yards away from the end zone. There is no deep. In 1.5 seconds, any of their receivers are going to be in the end zone. And then you have Kevin Byard, I would say the best center fielder in the NFL, kind of suspect tackler, not a guy you throw one-on-one on receivers. You stick him on maybe the best receiver in the NFL in DeAndre Hopkins, except he's not even on DeAndre Hopkins. He's 10 yards off the field. He's standing in the end zone. What is he doing there? Guess what? Kyler Murray, he's a competent quarterback. I could have checked down to DeAndre Hopkins when he's standing wide open in the middle of the field. And then he burns Kevin Byard because guess what? Kevin Byard is having to, he's trying to catch DeAndre Hopkins when DeAndre Hopkins has literally the entire field to run wherever he wants. And Shane Bone said, well, we didn't want to show that was a blitz. You had six people, you had six players on the line and all the DBs were playing off. That's pretty obviously a blitz. And even if it weren't, they're going to have an underneath route. They're not going to be running deep because there's no deep to run to. Every route is going to be open pretty fast. Now, Landon, Shane Bowen did say that Kevin Byard was in the correct spot. <laughs> which means that, big fella, which means that... He's a dope. We we do overrate coaches in this league, but they put him in a bad position. Landon's point is well made. They put him in a bad position Sunday. Like we said, Fulham was doing a good job. Why won't you put Fulton on him? And furthermore, why would you not press any of their receivers? That's that's the point of a blitz, especially in second and short when you can get a pass off in one second. If the receiver is getting a free release, he can just run to the middle of the field. It doesn't matter if you blitz 10 or if you had a line of Hall of Famers. You can't get to the quarterback in the half second it takes to release the ball. We saw that in the Packers game last year. It'd be second and five. We're playing off coverage. Devontae Adams just walks into a first down and Aaron Rodgers throws it because Aaron Rodgers isn't an idiot. Kyler Murray (laughs) isn't an idiot. The one thing Cliff Kingsbury has going for him as a head coach, he's a pretty smart offensive play caller. We're going to call a two-deep safety look. DK Metcalf is going to run right by him. Shane Bones will be like, well, we called the right play. How are we supposed to know that Superman was going to run through the middle of the field like he does all the time? How are we supposed to know (laughs) Russell Wilson, the best deep ball thrower in the NFL, was going to throw to him. We looked at the film last week where Tyler Lockett ran deep for a touchdown with under two minutes to go. We thought we could do something different. I just Last year, Shane Bowen had the very slight excuse that we were literally starting guys off the street at pass rusher. We had literally no pass rush, so you couldn't entirely blame him. But this past week, the pass rush was pretty good. That was the, pass, that was the best pass rush I've seen in probably 
two, three years from the Titans. Except it doesn't matter because we still have a guy who could get outcoached by a teenager playing Madden. Yeah, I mean, it didn't look good. And really, honestly, Derry, he makes a good point. And it's obviously not wise to make assumptions after one game. It's a long season, longer than ever. But Derry, week one drew a line in the sand, didn't it? To say, if this doesn't go well, no one's going to blame the talent. There will be repercussions uh, for this coaching staff because the the microscope was really after that game on our coaching staff. I agree. That's that's where my eyes are. You can't look at our roster and say that there isn't talent on both sides of the ball. If the coaching staff isn't putting our players in position to be successful, like we really have to like Vrabel's going to be on the hot seat. We've pretty much got like the first half of the season. Like our our division is not the strongest. So we should win, you know, our, our, our division. We should win the South. But if, if we're not in position, if, if for some reason the Colts are able to sort of hang with us the first half of the year or, yeah, I don't, I don't even want to say Jacksonville. They're, they're atrocious. But, like, if we're not meeting expectations this year, it's going to be time to start looking at, at other options because this roster is a good enough roster that we're going to get some really good coaching options next year. Like, people are going to want to come and coach this team. And that's the thing. I mean, but that is fleeting. So that's why I think John Robinson has shown how aggressive he would be. Vrabel, when you think about it, I mean, he's looked really good, but he's not come off super professional in the last 12 months. I know we could be talking a totally different game in three weeks, big fella, but this comes down to Vrabel because two years ago we had – we had a defensive coordinator that put them in a position where they weren't super talented, but they never missed an assignment. That's all we saw on Sunday. And so I really think the heat is on. I mean, this is the NFL. You know the heat's on, but really, it's not the talent. We know that. I, I think Vrabel is it's not a great look right now. Well, I'm really glad you said that um, because I've grown to like Vrabel. I've grown to like what he stands for and how he gets the team ready. And Sunday, were a lot, there were a lot of things that he did specifically that I did not like. Obviously, the team was not ready to play. But one thing I really that really bothered me, and I was listening to the sports radio all week, they were talking about it, was the way that he put Julio on blast. Yeah, Julio made a dumb play, caused a penalty, got us in terrible yardage. However, he publicly criticized a superstar in this league that is new to a team. If Vrabel were to act more professional, he said, hey, you know, it's, we're handling it internally and we'll talk about that. But no, he said publicly in all the press conferences, you know, Julio made a dumb play. We're going to call that. We're going to file that under the dumb stuff not to do. Like he he singled him out specifically. He didn't single out Taylor one. And maybe it's because Taylor went to Twitter as he was as he was taking his clothes off in the locker room, stated the obvious. But Vrabel calling out Julio kind of bothered me. Again, no denying Julio did something bad, did a wrong, made a made a terrible mistake on a play that was crucial. But the public criticism is something that bothers me, and it's kind of like this Vrabel ego. And I think Vrabel, we've talked about it before. I think Vrabel ego has bitten us in the butt a few times. I think that's why Dean Pease is no longer here as a defensive coordinator. Well, it uh, makes you wonder, right? But yeah. He retired, but he was suddenly ready to come back. That's reading the tea leaves a little bit, but honestly, all of you know that I hate when something bad happens and everybody blames the coaches like they would know better. Vrabel is a qualified to be an NFL head coach. I'm not questioning that. 
But clearly, you can look circumstantially and put this all together, and it's not a good look. That's all I'm saying. A large, like we said earlier, you played in college sports, uh, played college football at a very high level, uh, especially when things go tough. I mean, honestly, we always wonder this. I mean, how important is coaching, especially when when the chips are down, which are definitely is a situation for the Titans right now. Generally speaking, coaching is extremely critical and effective coaching relating to your players also knowing at what level you're coaching at so like Vrabel in the NFL he probably needs to be uh, working closely with his coordinators and then also the leaders on the team maybe at the college level you're working with leaders on the team but you're more focused on helping these athletes turn into contributing citizens to society and like high quality uh, adults and professionals so it's different I think in the NFL but it is imperative that it's effective and it goes well and the tone at the top and you say that a lot and right now it looks uninspired and there's lacking motivation. There's no unity. Rabel hopefully has been able to have some reflection after that game and has been working on trying to bring the team back together and maybe just have everybody get in a room and just put it all out there. We're about to find out if Mark Rabel's a good coach, aren't we? And we're about to find out if there is a Jarrell Casey or Delaney Walker on this team, right? I love Laura's point about connecting with the leaders of not just of your coaching staff, but uh, the players on the field. Obviously, calling out Julio is an example of putting one of your leaders on blast. That's not an effective way to build camaraderie and, te- and, and build a team. He's going to be trying to earn that trust back from Julio all season, uh, let alone the offensive coordinators trying to earn the trust of this team. This is, this is really going to be a, a critical year for for Vrabel, right? If our offense is struggling, we know our defense is struggling, then honestly, what are we good at? Our kicking game sucks. So <laughs> like, so where, where's, where, what is he doing that's helping us? Like, where's where his specialty? I'm glad you said it, Derry, because I was waiting for us to address self in the room. The fact that we can't make an extra point. <laughs> if you're a Seahawks fan and you're going to this game, what jersey would you be wearing? Who's your all-time favorite Seahawk? Mm. I think we've talked about this one before, and I've got one that is always probably going to be my favorite pick, but there's also another one. So I'm going to give you mine, and then I'll wait until you guys go, and if you don't pick that second one, I'll tell you what it is. So my first one is Cam Chancellor. I don't think I've ever seen a safety hit hard like he does, and just the way that he played the game. And, you know, he. whenever I think of Cam Chancellor, I think of you know the Seahawks in their brand-new uniforms, and he's got the dark visor, and he just looks intimidating like all get out kind of like brian dawkins i think they kind of played pretty similar camp chancellor he's a really sure tackler he hits you like a like a freight train or like a bullet so he's you know one of those guys that i always identify the seahawks with for me a couple months ago i would have said steve Largen, but i looked up some stuff in his personal life and that kind of turned me off my second choice would be doug baldwin just a great story undrafted guy worked his way up to being a Pro Bowl level player was just really clutch when they needed him. Helped win them win the Super Bowl, almost get to another one. But I'd actually end up going with Kenny Easley back from the '80s. One the, the the Seahawks jerseys back then are just way cooler than the ones now. So just the aesthetic alone, but also just he was he was a better Cam Chancellor, like John was saying. He was Cam Chancellor, except he was also like the best center fielder in the NFL, and he was just he was a super he was a super duper star that. Had, a, had some injuries. I think it was like a pen, he had an appendix injury that cut his career really short, but just 
just a superstar from an era where I, I just I like just romanticizing the guys from the past I never saw play, but everyone just says, "Oh man, if you watched him, you knew he was the best that ever did it." And a lot of people say that about Kenny easily. So it would have been Cam. Like Cam is the choice. He's you know he was he was super scary. The visor, right? Like I just I just imagine being in a receiver, going across the middle, having to stretch for a for a pass, and just having Cam Chancellor just destroy your ribs, right? So um, so he's the pick. Given the big fella already said that, then it's it's got to be Mr. Skittles himself, Marshawn Lynch. Like that's <laughs> that was the guy. Those those legendary runs. Like I look, I love Derrick Henry, and so I love running backs that are not afraid of contact, that are actually initiating contact. And so uh, I loved Marshawn Lynch in his prime. He was just a different type of runner, just super physical. Like if you if it's third and one, you know, it, it, unless you know, unless you you're going with the coaching staff, he's going to get you the one yard. So uh, love that guy. Well, thank you for mentioning that, that they would literally have another Super Bowl if it wasn't for <laughs> Marshall. Yeah, Marshall Lynch and you do that stupid pass. Anyway, <laughs> unbelievable. Yeah, I just thank God that I'm not a Seattle fan because I don't I wouldn't be over that clearly. Oh, I wouldn't be. That either. is could you imagine, guys, if the Titans had done that to us? I well, having won another one or not. I wouldn't know. I I would lose my mind. Um, Laura, if you um, had a little tiny jersey, Seattle jersey to wear, what would it be on Sunday? Sorry. <laughs> I would agree with Derry. I'm going to go uh, Marshawn Lynch, but not even because of his skill set on the football field, because of everything he's done off the field and how hilarious he is and how smart he actually is, um, how worldly he is. Uh, he is just a very entertaining human being. And I thoroughly enjoy his presence on this earth. He's so worldly, guy. he only eats at Applebee's. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, man, when I was in Buffalo, the only place to eat was Applebee's. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you got to go back to Cal where he's driving the, the you know, golf the, cart, the which, the golf as you guys know, is my all-time favorite <laughs> thing that ever happened in the whole world. And they made a bobblehead about it, and oh, my God. Sean Alexander. No, yeah. If he didn't play for Alabama, yeah. would, that'd probably be mine. <laughs> uh, well, fair. If I'm reading this stat correctly, it says in 2005 he had 27 rushing touchdowns. Oh, yeah, I remember ridiculous. that year. He was he unreal. 1,880 yards on the ground. Um, I mean, that dude was just a monster. And then even in 2001, well, 2001 he had 14, and then 16, and then 14, and 16, then the 27 year. That's he's he's got a hundred career touchdowns nine years um so that's pretty insane so I, I I think Alexander would be a really good person to pick yeah and Justin Arnold mentioned that we all skipped over just because offensive linemen aren't sexy but Walter Jones the greatest tackle of the Super Bowl era would also be a good choice Jones is my second the guy that trained by pulling a car right so yeah Walter also like, Jones would definitely be yeah, my second also one, like maybe the fastest amazing. offensive tackle ever. Yeah, he like, I've seen, got I've seen some highlights about like some of the Instagram. other great tackles of the time, like Ogden, uh, Orlando Pace. But honestly, he he was as good or better than any of yeah. those guys. Well, how about like, one was, of our own, Steve Hutchinson? Remember he oh, he was absolutely. a Titan for a little bit of time, and you know he was a longtime Seahawk. So, got to get well, some love there. His his problem is that he's a guard. No one really likes guards. Oh, sh- you bite your tongue, Landon. Well, they well they don't buy their jerseys. Is what I mean. Unless they're like super hyped up like Quinn and Nelson. But I'm sure back in the day, Steve Hutchinson had his fair share of jerseys. I'm sure he did. Okay, guys, what are your predictions for the game? Keeping with my 
just very drab, very uninspired opinion on week one. The bad juju is going to carry over to week two. Russell Wilson is going to throw more touchdowns than incompletions. I've got it 42-24 Seahawks. Oh, my God. 42-24 Seahawks. Okay. Well, my prediction is that I will watch the game. Yeah, we're all going to watch it no matter how bad it gets. It's a road game, so we can't walk out on it. <laughs> See, I'm going to be I'm going to be optimistic, and I think it's Titans 30, Seattle 27. Ooh, I love you, Derry. Titans 30, Seattle 27. Laura forgot uh, who we're even playing. I know, sorry. <laughs> um, hold on. Yeah. What about you, big fella? Me? Oh, sorry. Well, first, before I give you my picks, I'm going to tell you some reasons for optimism. What I think is why I, why I think there are reasons to be optimistic. Number one, we all know AJ Brown, DK Metcalf, college teammates, best buddies. I think we're going to get a vintage version of AJ Brown and DK Metcalf, and they're going to go score for score, big play for big play. So I'm hopeful for that. Number two, have you ever seen how how pissed off Derrick Henry looks after he's got something to prove? I'm hopeful we get that version of Derrick Henry where he might just think that the the Seahawks are the Jags and run for 235 and uh, you know a couple touchdowns. So, with that being said in keeping with Derry's positively optimistic theme, I am going to go Titans 35 Seattle 27. I think we do have character on this team. We obviously have talent. That's going to show on Sunday where there's guys going to be mad. And I think we're going to come out, and I think we're going to have an opportunity to win this game. I hope we do. I think ultimately, at least right now, we're not as well coached as we should be on defense, especially mm-hmm. for a defensive-minded head coach. I think we lose this game 30-27, but I think we are going to show some life. Landon has mentioned so many times early season Russell Wilson. He is going to be in midseason form. You guys also made the point of how rowdy this fan base is going to be. I think we lose a close one, and I think there's going to be a lot of points put up. I think 30-27 Seattle. Well, fair. Hold it against any of us except for Landon if you don't pick us to win. I will relent and say that Mike Vrabel is 6-0 or 7-0 with the Titans in games immediately following a 10-plus point loss. So keeping with that trend, we should win. And there have been some good wins. Like we lost to the Panthers by like 17 and then we beat the Chiefs the year they won the Super Bowl, so it's not just we beat up on bad teams after losing to good teams. But there is some credit to your theory about playing mad, having something to prove, and especially just like that was our home opener. That was supposed to be like our crowning moment where we were supposed to step into that top tier of contenders, and instead we just got embarrassed. On I was watching Red Zone. They were just dunking on us the whole time. Right. Well, they had good reason to. Even still, every talk channel I've listened to this week, they've been talking about Kyler Murray and how he looks so great. Oh, absolutely. Blah, 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 blah. Oh, the little guy and blah, 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 blah. And, well, they're so much better than we thought. Maybe they are. But, I mean, we gave them every time to do that. But you know what? We have historically bounced back well. In the last five years, we've looked bad, and we have never really looked bad two weeks in a row. Agreed. I mean, really bad. So, I mean, I, that's my expectation. And honestly, it's going to have to happen. Otherwise, the narrative is going to change on this podcast and everywhere else. All right, fellas and lady. So, what could happen on Sunday that's going to cause you to hit the panic button on this team? Let me start. The same thing that happened Sunday, the right side of that offensive line and even our veterans on the left side look 
outmatched. Now, we can say all we want about how good Chandler Jones is, but if it happens again, that's going to – you guys know, I think this game is all about pressure on both lines. And I, I think if we have memes of Luan getting just absolutely hosed and obviously poor Kiesenberry, who's not getting paid a million dollars a game, if he is just an absolute turnstile, yeah, panic button for me if the offensive line has just absolutely no resistance. So it's it's our it's our back end of our defense. I mean, we invested so much last year, you know, in the draft and, and you know, in free agency on in our defense and the back end was just abysmal last season. And so if we continue to see that, if I, you know, I know we're young back there. I know we <laughs> I know we don't, you know, I, I know Jenkins is is a vet, but like if we don't see some improvement, if we can't get off the field, you know, when we get, you know, third and longs, that's 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 going to be a red flag because we can't compete against elite quarterbacks in the playoffs if we can't get off the field. For me, I would say if the offensive play calling continues to be uninspired, it feels janky, just out of sorts because the offensive line was a question mark, the defense an even bigger one. But the one thing you cannot deny is that we are one of the most talented teams at skilled position on offense. As far as big fours go, Tannehill, Henry, Julio, A.J. Brown. It's hard to come up with talent groups better than that across anywhere in the NFL. That is the one thing we have. But if Todd Downey continues to do bland, boring play calls that play it safe, we don't attack the field deep with two great receivers, we don't put Henry in position to succeed, we don't let Tannehill do what he does best, I'm going to panic because if the one thing we have going for us can't be maximized by our offensive coordinator, we have nothing going for us. Our offense last week was just the most stagnant it was that I've seen in the Brian Tannehill era. And that includes the Baltimore game where Derrick Henry just ran to a wall 25 times in that game. Big fella? So me, a little bit of everything, you know, that each of you guys said, you know, I'm going to panic if Taylor Luan gets murdered again. That will be terrible for me. I am going to panic again if our defensive secondary gets beat like they did on Sunday. And at this point, you know, Derry, I'm glad you kind of talked about it, how we were young back there. We're getting beat so bad. Put Caleb Farley in. I, I didn't want us to draft him, but the guy literally only played special teams. Put him in well, there. Well, he got a couple of garbage time snaps when the Cardinals just ran out the clock. But yeah, well, still, he, didn't play, put, he, yeah. he did nothing meaningful that game. Give him meaningful snaps. Get him experience. Because your young guys who are wet behind the ears, not you know, no, they're not gaining anything valuable by sitting and watching. A guy like Farley who needs to get on the field, he needs to get on the field. So do it. I mean, especially now with Amani Hooker out, we're going to have to probably slide Elijah Molden, Elijah Molden over to the safety spot. You got to play Farley. He's your first round draft pick. He's the future of the secondary. So just pull the trigger on it and do it. And the play calling. It's got to be better. It has to be better, especially on offense. We looked inept on defense and we looked like a peewee team on offense. We have Derrick Henry. Yeah, I mean, the guy that every other team would want that makes everybody great. Running for 2,000 yards. Everybody's predicting, oh, we get an extra game this year. He can he can crush that. He'll get 2,500 yards. That's what we need to do. So I want to see every phase of the game get Landon, this game is at 325. I know you love these games to go. You can watch the eight or nine noon games, and then we go into this afternoon game. Uh, tell us about at large. Well, Bengals-Bears, 
I was a huge Jamar Chase fan, Joe Burrow bounced back. And maybe, and the Bengals' defensive front looked really good, but maybe the Bears finally just pulled the plug on the Andy Dalton experiment and Justin Fields actually gets to play. And Rams-Colts, the Rams on Sunday night looked like, to me, I thought they were the best team of week one considering their opponent just how complete they're going to be. They play the Colts. Colts are 0-1. Hopefully it's 0-2 by the time our game starts. So that way, even if we do lose to Seattle, there is that, we do know in the back of our heads, we're still tied with Indy because Houston and Jacksonville aren't real contenders. Then after that, Raiders-Steelers. I'm rooting for the Raiders because obviously we hate Pittsburgh. And my, my really my only question now is which announcing duo do we get because <clears throat> we're the afternoon slot. We're playing the Seahawks. We're on CBS. And the early CBS slot outside of Raiders-Steelers is pretty whatever. But I don't think we're going to get Nance and Romo because Cowboys-Chargers is also on CBS. But could we get Ian Eagle or Kevin Harlan? Because those are like the big three to me, and we're definitely one of the big three games on CBS. I don't want Greg Gumbel, Tom McCarthy, their DEF teams that we just get thrown onto, even when we play good teams. I think some other cool matchups that I, I'm looking forward to see, uh, as much as I dislike the teams, Patriots-Jets is always just uh, you know one of those matchups that always carries a little extra weight with you know Spygate and everything and being in that division. I always think that's really interesting. Bills Dolphins, it's always going to be a fun one, uh, you know, in division, so it's always cool. So I'll have my eyes on those. And also, Saints Panthers, I think that one carries a lot of intrigue this year, especially with how Winston played last weekend. You know, he threw for like a thousand touchdowns, but only like a hundred yards. Of course, leave it to him to be able to do that. So I'll be curious to see that game too. Derry, what stands out to you outside of our game this weekend? Uh, that Pittsburgh Raiders game. You know, uh, Raiders got that win on um, Monday night. Pittsburgh beat Buffalo. So I'm, I'm interested to see, you know, Pittsburgh. Uh, obviously, we know that defense is good. Roethlisberger sort of looks cooked to me, you know, but I, I'm so I'm interested in their offense and how effective I think they're going to be in, in a long season. Right. Because I think they, they've got a great defense. Um, and then the Raiders are just one of those teams that's, you know, they're good. I don't think they're great, but I think that they can give teams trouble. They beat Baltimore, so let's see if they're if they're real, right? So that's that's an interesting game. Hey, with that Raiders squad, you guys are going to be so shocked to hear this. Um, but on Monday, Marcus had one play where he had a run for 30-some yards. Um, it was announced today that he strained a quad muscle, and he's out for three to four weeks. Yep. <laughs> oh, I love that kid, but I feel so terrible for him. The Raiders this year feel fun because their defense is actually going to be okay. So I think they're going to sneak up on some teams. Oh, and the announcing schedule did drop today. We got Andrew Catalan and James Lofton, which is just as mid as you can get. Like, yeah, that's an NFL announcing crew, but it's kind of whatever. <laughs> but I am really excited for an afternoon slot solely because of the announcers. Vikings, Cardinals. Cardinals are going to annihilate the Vikings, I think, but it's the return of my favorite play-by-play caller, Nathan knows this. Gus Johnson returns to the NFL after like 10 years of being stuck in college. Gus Johnson and Keith Tlaib, that might not That's not going to be the most professional announcing duo for the NFL, but be the best that is one, certainly going to be the funnest. That's certainly going to be the funnest broadcast of the week, especially in what's going to be a high-scoring game. Once they give Aqib Tlaib some experience, he's going to be incredible. I mean, I really think he's awesome. And Gus Johnson, I think they were 10 years ago afraid of his energy, but Derry... Gus Johnson belongs. I mean, he belongs in the NFL. 
Yeah, that's where that's where all his best announcing is is that and and i think <laughs> uh, he's i don't know if he's the future of of analyst but i want him to be right I, I, yeah, I, well said <laughs> no i mean yeah he's raw i'm not gonna pretend but you know honestly i mean he's like he's just a more raw tony romo i mean they just need to give him some experience i mean he's Everything he says, you can't deny. It's what a player thinks, and isn't that kind of what we want, right, big fella? Isn't that what we really want to hear, or do we? I, I I like the authentic takes. I like the people that get hyped. My favorite guy is Tony Romo. I mean, the way that he gets so excited for a play and literally just calls out the, the, the following play before it happens, I mean, it's just amazing. I, I just think they need, they're going to start leaning. T- Tony Romo has awakened them to know, like, hey, the average listener doesn't – they're tired of the cliches. I'm tired of hearing the same figures of speech all the time. I'm okay if they make mistakes. Tony Romo, when you look at his face when they first go to him in pregame, he is so pumped to be watching that game just like we are. That's what we got away with, and Tlaib is like that. Yeah, maybe Tlaib needs to, like, understand, like, the points of the job, but we all do that when we're in a new job. But at least he has a high ceiling because, like – Number one, he understands football. He would have had to. And number two, he's psyched to be there. And so I, I think I they need to give those guys an opportunity. I don't even want him to understand the points of the job. Just like, <laughs> well, create a new avenue, man. Like it's just yeah. it's fun. Like well, I'm there. To, I'm there to watch the game and be entertained. That dude is entertaining. I love when he talks about fights in the crowd. Like it just let's yeah. go. For years, do you think, Big Fella, they've kind of insulted the intelligence of the audience? Oh, the audience wants this, audience well, that. But the people that produce uh, network football, they they have a pretty short range. I mean, they don't really know. They see the game a certain way. They watch the game a certain way. They live in a certain world. And, and I think to Derry's point, like, they need to rethink that, right? Tony Rumble's, like, <laughs> overwhelming popularity has made them rethink that, right? I think it, it, it definitely has. It's funny that you lead me into this because tonight's game with the, the Giants and the Washington football team, Joe Buck and Troy Aikman, and there was a hilarious moment earlier in the game when I was watching, and there was a false start on the Washington football team. Then Troy Aikman's like, oh, well, it's a delay of game because the game clock run out. Here he, And then they call it as an actual false start, and he's like, no, no, no. Well, it was a delay of game because the game clock ran out. He must have said it like seven times, and Joe Buck, like, totally deadpan. He's like, well, it's five yards either way, and on to next. And I mean, it was just hysterical. I could see Aikman just in his head be like, well, I, I think it was still a delay of game. It was just like, it was perfect. And, you know, I was in, I was thoroughly entertained with that 12 seconds of just pure pandemonium that was, you know, displayed on Troy Aikman's face and probably going on in his head. It was amazing. I'm going to preface this by saying, I honestly believe this, I think Joe Buck and Troy Aikman probably really decent guys so i'm not talking about them their character but i'll just give i'll try to give this example as best i can like last summer when we had all the riots and all the different stuff have, did y'all notice that like commercials like corporations felt pressure to like give folks voices and you notice how like they rethought everything and like oh wait we've never done voiceovers from black people and then all of a sudden Deion sanders is doing subway and get all this stuff and then commercials got way better because there are a lot of african-american people or people that haven't had a voice stuff got a little more interesting i'm hoping laura that 
football announcing, no offense to Troy Aikman and Joe Buck, the keep to leaves of the world, Gus Johnson is back, there's pressure to do so. We're, we're about to see a little more lively play calling, right? Just be, They did it because of the pressure, but what they're going to get is uh, whenever you bring in a more diverse crowd, you're just going to get a different and better voice, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, Aikman and Buck is extremely vanilla. It's very bland. It's not entertaining. I mean, like you said, they're probably great guys, but <laughs> I, mean, I, miss that. I miss what you were talking about, big fella. But that's <laughs> hilarious, just your rendition of it. And I think that, you know, in the professional place, in broadcasting, in wherever you're going to be, any kind of diversity is going to just attract a better crowd. It's going to be a better show. It's going to be better entertaining. It's it's just going to, in general, improve your product. Keep bringing on the diversity. We, we all love it. There's proof in the pudding, I guess. You know, Snoop is representing Corona, and it's gotten so much better, right? It, that, that's, a, that's the perfect example, because, Gary, when you saw Snoop in a commercial for Corona, he so naturally does it, and then you think, no offense to Tony Romo, John Gruden, you're like, why were two bland white guys from the Midwest ever pumping beer? It's like, it, it was one of those cathartic moments for me when it was like, wait, how was Snoop Dogg always not the voice for Corona? A beer that you're su- supposed to drink on the beach? That's an interesting question. <laughs> I, 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 was like, I was like, why is Snoop the perfect sponsor for Corona? I would think Snoop is the perfect sponsor for a lot of things. Beer, beer maybe not being the top choice, but but something that, you know, certainly is, you know, in that in that vein. Uh I, I, I guess my point of view on this on this idea is that no, Well, I, I guess think- I don't want to interrupt you, but I'm just saying he's wearing a robe, he's on the beach, he's drinking a beer. It's like <laughs> It's more natural than collared polo Tony Romo with a cap on a, at literally a wooden desk in a beach green screen. I, I'm just saying, like, I'm, nothing bad. I'm just like, wait, wait a minute. It makes you realize that what they were doing before was really a non sequitur. No offense, but it's like he's so naturally pushing beer and the laid back experience is like, I think sometimes under pressure, I can't really make my point as well as I want to, but it's like, Sometimes when you're made to do something, you do it perfectly. No, I get your point. I, I, I think that the last year has given us an opportunity to, to create some new stories and see people in different lights and hopefully do some innovative and creative things that, that are outside of the norm. right? And, and, and I think that's giving voice to the voiceless, but I also think... Uh, like I actually listened to the Monday night game with the Mannings and like that sort of like was an innovative way to call a game and watch a game without the play by play, like doing some different stuff. So getting some different voices, using football talent to, t- to talk about football in a different way. I think all that stuff is, is great. Right. So I, I think I, I certainly agree that we need to put uh, all kinds of people in front of camera, on camera, talking about products, selling and pitching products. But I also think when like our original idea was around like commentary of games and new, you know, commentate on games. I think we need to be thinking about different ways to do it, too. And I, so I was really impressed with that Monday night telecast. It was super funny. Big fella, Derry brings up the perfect point that there's going to be a day, hopefully, that will all this will be behind us from a pandemic standpoint and it's having to be away. It has forced us to rethink things. And he gives the example of the Mannings is like, let's rethink what's on ESPN too. Maybe people have spent enough time alone 
that they've had to just rely on their families. Maybe they want to see family members like, what would it be like if two very likable guys that we all love and love each other, what if we just just kind of talk about the game? Oh, yeah. I mean, you've seen the NFL make that attempt to do something different. I mean, I think they had the games on Nickelodeon where they're sliming players, you know, virtually. And, you know, we've seen these in-stadium experiences that are kind of pushing different realms. Obviously, the NFL is taking notice of what has been going on, and they're trying to engage a whole new audience, whether it's younger people, whether it's, you know, getting more diversity, uh, you know, representation, getting a whole bunch of different things going, because the old product, yeah, it still works, but they don't see that as a way to carry them into the future. And they're trying to figure it out. They're trying really, really hard to grasp at anything they can. I think the NFL will have a lot of success. We see a lot of these players um, and whatever personal movement that they have, whether it's Black Lives Matter, whether it was, you know, being the first openly gay player in the NFL. But more importantly, it's changing the way how we enjoy the sport. Extremely well said. Landon, this is your generation coming up. You love the game, but you're not as into the presentation traditionally as John was talking about. John referenced the first openly gay player. I think if before the last couple of years that would have happened, it would have been a showstopper, right? But I think it's just been like, yeah, he has the right to play, and it's kind of been – that. that's a good thing, right, Landon? And and then I, I want to know your opinion as a 19-year-old person. Like, is the changes in the delivery of of these games, is that is that enough for you right now? Is that is that what your generation wants to see? I, I would agree that's a good thing that, like, Carl Nassib coming out, not being a big deal, even though I used made a big deal in a positive way. It was like, yeah, we're finally at the point where an LGBTQ <laughs> member of the NFL can feel comfortable in, in openly expressing a sexual life. That's a good thing. As for the on-field product, it's not enough in of itself, like we've talked about before. Going to games doesn't have the same allure that it does to older fans like you guys. But I do enjoy the product being less corporatized. It's less sterile, less professional. The reason, like, Gus Johnson's my favorite play caller is, he, he, like you said, he's so authentic. Like, he's just so raw and he's so excited. Like, he's almost screaming on every call, but it's not in that fake hype-up announcer voice that has become commonplace where it's like, they really, they're not really invested, but they're supposed to be, so they're just kind of just raising their voice so they sound excited. Like, Gus Johnson legit on big plays, will scream into the mic, and you can just feel how excited and into the moment he is. That's really just just with everything going on, just like making things more authentic, more like real life, less professional, less, I guess, like cookie cutter. is just making media in all aspects better because more diversity, there's just more avenues. It's It's just more authentic, and it feels less like a corporate product being pushed and more like you're just seeing actual people do stuff. Landon, thank you. Big fella, John. Derry, you grace us with your presence. Laura, you guys have been invaluable. This has been our, probably our best episode, ironically, after our worst game. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so back to bad episodes. (laughs) So next week is the stinker, boys. But honestly, uh, I believe in our Titans. Uh, I want to see a good effort. I know they have a huge challenge of a good team. But, fellas, thank you for being here. Laura, thank you for being here. And, guys, tighten up. Tighten up. Tighten up. Tighten up. Tighten up.